Who's ready? Let's chat. Welcome, welcome. I'm Brandi Davis, your parenting partner, and we're here to chat about all things kids and all things parenting. Let's get started, shall we? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you're all doing really well. I hope everyone is healthy um, and getting excited for the world to hopefully open back up again soon. Um, so on today's show, I have Jenna DeAlba. Um, she is a special instructor, and she is going to tell you a little bit about what she does. And we're going to talk about how she does amazing things for kids and families. So, hey, <clears throat> what's going on today? Hey, nothing much. It's gorgeous. Can't complain. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it is. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, if you, you, you know, if there's anything that we should know about you, things like that. Yo, this just got real deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we, we, we can decide how deep this gets. Tell us about your childhood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, nah, that's a different conversation, Brandy. right? Yeah, that is. Um, so yeah, what is a special instructor anyway? I'm like, I'm still trying to figure that out after two and a half years of doing it. Um, <laughs> some states call me a developmental therapist. Pennsylvania mm-hmm. uses special instructor, which is just a terrible term. What I really do is I am an early intervention therapist and I don't have a specialty. So like what I tell parents is I'm like your general practitioner. Okay, yeah. Um, and I help kind of meld everything together and keep a thumb to the pulse of how a kiddo is doing. Officially, my job is to really work on classroom access skills. So if a kiddo isn't able to function in a classroom like every other kiddo, I try to figure out how to get them um, how to get them the skills that they might need or alternatively how to reframe what the adults are thinking to look at that kiddo's abilities a little differently. Um, That's actually kind of an unofficial part of my job. What do I really do? I play all day. (laughs) I play all day with three-year-olds and I talk to grown-ups about the importance of play. Um, There's a lot of Elmo in my life. Excellent. Excellent. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I have a lot of trolls in my life. That's <clears throat> that's really that's that's our land right now trolls and jingle jangle jingle jangle tell me more y'all if you haven't seen this movie it's good it's on netflix our kids are obsessed with it it has a really good mm. cast for grown-ups it is a christmas movie jingle jangle um, totally saw it my kid's 14 yes. so it didn't even register but what a great way to like engage with kids i know it's 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 so cute it's really great it's very female positive everyone and our kids, we, we start with that song, um, Square Root of Possible, every single day. We sing it. It's our mantra now. Uh, that's totally going to find its way into my life. It, it should. It's, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, <clears throat> okay. So real quick, because this kind of popped into my mind. Um, so what's the difference between what you do? And it might be very obvious to you, but um, what you do. And what, like, an OT or a PT does? Or is that, like, a mix of all the things that you do? So that looks different in every single case. So I'm, like, moving Mm -hmm. forward. 
like, dude, when you go to kindergarten, your life is going to be totally different. How can I prepare you to that? My favorite things are social skills and emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids struggle with playing and I love to teach play. Um, Playing nice in the sandbox is something grown-ups need to know how to do. And the time to teach it is at three because it looks real unattractive when you're 40 and haven't learned your sandbox skills. Yeah, I do a lot of what OTs and speech therapists do. There's a bunch of overlap. Mm-hmm. I really just define myself with where's the gap, right? If there's something kind of not being addressed, I go in on it if... I'm seeing a kid that like he does something really well with an OT or with a speech therapist, but he's not doing it other places. We work on bringing that kid to a different spot and being like, all right, show off how you talk. Um, So like Mm -hmm. an OT or a PT teaches things in their environment, sometimes in isolation or in a small group. And I'm like, that's great. I don't care if you do it in a small group, do it everywhere. Right. Okay. So we call that in our world generalization. If all the bases have been covered and there's not really a gap and not something glaring that I'm like, I need to work on this classroom skill. I take what other therapists do and generalize it. You got that at, you know, you're doing that great at home. Let's go outside to the playground. Oh, you're pushing kids. Cool. So it's like real life skills kind of, sorry. I totally know what to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what do I really do? Like, generalization is a big part of it. I don't care if a kid is using full sentences at home. If they can't communicate that to like the world abroad, it doesn't matter. Kids Mm -hmm. have to use the skills they've earned or they've learned everywhere. You know, we're actually, so we have a COVID puppy, like everybody else in Fairmount. And my husband and I often argue because like he'll sit, he's perfect in the house. We walk outside of the house, that dog's a banshee. And I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if he can walk with you. It doesn't matter if he sits in the house. He has to do it everywhere. So I right. love kind of messing with kids' brains and making them do things in places they don't expect. Um, another favorite part of my job is flexibility. <laughs> it sounds really cool, mm-hmm. but if I have kiddos that like to line stuff up, I love taking that car and just pushing it out of the line a little bit to see like all right if i mix the red cars and the blue cars are you gonna freak or stay calm because i yeah (laughs) i used to do that with my niece um who is like 105 now or 13 um but when she was little she's she's a very particular friend and she had those stickers of animals that like you could put the nose on the elephant and da 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 and you and you make an elephant because that's how you do it and then you make a lion because that's how you do it and I was like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with her and I and it wasn't to be mean but I was like you need to come out of this zone and I would put like on the elephant the lion's ears and then the zebra tail and she was like you can't do that you can't do that and she was like about four I think she was like you can't that's not how we do it and I was like well you don't have to do it you don't have to do this if you don't like it but this is how I like it. Yes. And by the end, she was like, you can do it that way, but I'm not going to. And that was her first baby step into like, okay, I'm going to accept you as out of the box. I'm not ready to get out of my box yet, but I'm going to accept that there is an outside. Yes. Of so I'm totally with you. I want to make kids. I agree. You have to get them out of their comfort zone a little bit 
because the world isn't going to always give you a comfort zone and you want to be able to do it. Yeah. And that, I mean, if there's anything we've learned this year is like, sometimes the world shuts down and you have to adapt and be flexible mm-hmm. and y'all kids are too young to drink. So it's real hard for them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the no number joke. of parents I have told that to, and I'm like, look, I know that they're freaking out right now, but they don't have any control over their world and you get to drink. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Look at how much everybody has this year where it's like, everybody's everybody has wine time and everyone's it's three o'clock is it happy hour yet so it's like you know we're having trouble with the skills that we have I mean we need to make sure that the kids have skills so they can like adapt and be resilient Randy skills we have (laughs) well the other (laughs) thing is the more I work with kids I look at adults and you can like see you know which adults were the kids that had to have the red cars and the blue cars together. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you hate the red cars being with the blue cars, but my job is to teach you like, okay, this is stressful. Take a breath. Right. And yeah, it's so long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, How far back would we want to go? As far as in high school, I thought I was going to be a firefighter. So I went to paramedic school. Then I had a baby and I was like, all right, well, I just going to be a doctor. But that didn't like, it didn't give me enough time and connection to people. And the thing about my job is I connect to families. I connect to kids and it's an ongoing Mm -hmm. relationship. Right. And I thought teaching was going to be where it's at, but you don't get flexibility with teaching. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And you didn't get to develop the relationship kind of with the whole child in the same way I do now. Mm -hmm. So the thing about being a special instructor is the fact that my job isn't super defined and that I can really get to know a kid and family and figure out what that kid needs. Um, If I was going to be formal, I would say I help develop individualized education plans and goals and devise strategies. And that's the formal way of putting (laughs) what I really do, which is teaching kids how to deal with this world we live in. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And I used to say I wanted to be a play therapist and I didn't know special instructor was there. I didn't know it was a thing. Um, And when I transitioned out of the school district into like this fancy, prestigious consultant job, I thought, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. It's all behavior. And I'm like, I hated it. It was Mm grownups, grownups all the time. And I didn't get to really help kids. So it was really about having to manage like adults who hadn't managed their own crap. Um, Yeah. And kids don't have that much crap yet. So yeah, kids are just like, uh. I, I, well, the reason I like them is because they're raw, <laughs> they're uncensored, they're funny, they're, they're just like real peeps. They like say it like it is. That's why Not I like, like you at all. <laughs> <And for> the, <laughs> let the record reflect. We instantly connected because I'm like raw and censored 
I think the clinical yeah. term is yeah. low self monitor. <laughs> That's probably it. It That's is. I just don't have time to hide it all anymore. And why? It just takes so much energy to hide it all. And then you have to remember, like, <laughs> how are you hiding this? Yeah. What am I hiding? Where am I hiding? Also, like, oh, wait, how do I be a grown-up? What do I do to be a grown-up? I'm like, no, I just want to be weird. That's why I hang out with little kids all the time. Being a grown-up is just not where it's at. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. No. I. It's funny. One of the things that I say to my clients often is I'm like, do you care about this or are you being a grown up? So when they're like, well, it wasn't okay that my kid put blueberries in their water. And, you know, I'm all about, you know, safety and thoughtfulness. If you're not being safe, you know, with your body or someone else's or the world around you, we have to address that. If you're not being thoughtful, we have to address it. But like blueberries in your water, like, do you really care about that? Or are you just being a grown up? Like, are you just thinking with your grown up brain? And I think that that's good that that you are there to almost help some of these grown ups get out of Can their I borrow that? Brain. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. I say something very similar to parents, but I like the way you phrase it so much better. <laughs> oh, get it, girl. We're all I'm like, supporting. They're each other. being a kid. Kids do weird things because that's what it's about. Um Yeah. And yeah, is it really that important? And, you know, I think it's important to make the distinction between can you follow directions mm-hmm. and listen, right? So if mom said, don't put the blueberries in the water, that's different than just doing it to be a kid. And right again, another part of my job is teaching kids to listen and follow directions and tolerate structure because that is also life. But there's really fun ways right. to do that. Like... Mm-hmm. Simon says, and yep. um, one of my current favorite games is listen with your ears and I will do the opposite of what I say. So I'll touch my nose and say, touch your chin, which I stole ironically from a TikTok <laughs> with Whoa. a 17 year old kid and a mom who was like, touch your head. And she touched her nose and the kid, it took like 10 trials kid actually got it because kids do what they see and teaching listening ears is really hard most of us don't Mm -hmm. really listen I'm first and foremost on that (laughs) I'm always in my brain um yeah and kids love structured play like they will play Simon Says for days you know power is also another thing like kids so many conversations with adults recently about they're looking for power and don't pretend like you don't because we all do. Um, mm-hmm. And having kids like find their own way to have power that isn't like do this now. Because anytime you tell like it like do this right now, they're going to be like, nah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're like, uh-uh. I'm going to stop yeah. your day right or, like, now. You want me to do this? Have now? you ever seen Michael? <laughs> no. The the like really bad John Travolta movie where all the women like yeah, you know yes. when he's like battle. <laughs> I oh my god yeah. I don't even remember, but I do. It was a thing it. John Travolta would say throughout. Like he'd he'd get himself into these situations that he'd be like battle, and you knew that like one time he's in a field with a bull or whatever. But like kids do the same thing, and when parents say something yes. like put that down, kids are like. New game, battle. You're so right. Yes, that's exactly what it is. But it's hard as an adult because as a parent, you're like, I just need you to clean your shit up now. 
now. Yeah. Yeah, your your grandmother's coming over. She's yeah, and I mean, we it. parent and we approach kids how we were raised or taught, right? And this is where my job gets dicey because mm-hmm. technically I'm a teacher. It's what they tell me. It's what, what the letters say. But at the end of the day, I'm like a, a child humanitarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. A child something advocate. Something of, like yeah. I advocate for childhood. We all need to be in touch with our inner three-year-old. Um, yeah. But like we teach and we parent how we do what we know, right? And until we know better, we can't do better. So right. it's like, <laughs> think about what it was to be three. It's hard being three. And we're... Mm-hmm perpetuating the patterns that we know, which is you better do this or you're about to get something you don't want to get. You know, I grew up with the statement, if you can't listen, you can feel. Right? Like, (laughs) that was was Dr. Spock of the 90s or whatever. Um, Yeah. And I think having a parent try to be the one, the controlling behavior never works out for you but working to change behavior is always a better approach but ain't nobody in the 90s trying to change a kid's behavior it was like you need to listen you don't listen you're bad we just went down a crazy rabbit hole that was fun I know but it's it and it's funny because even now I will be very surprised at, at parents certain parents who I think are very chill very laid back and they'll be like okay remember you know, you know, be good today or like, you know, oh, yes, remember you were bad. And I'm like, no, no, your kids are never kids. bad. You're like, they're kids. And like, yeah, everybody out there, your kids are never bad. They may not make great choices. They may need to make better choices. They may not have just the best overall day, but they're not bad. They're not bad people. Because once you are bad, it's almost like, well, I'm bad. That's what I am. And that's that's kind of tough. That's a cu- tough label to have. And so it's like I'm really always trying to be like, please stop telling your kids that they're bad. Um, and, and instead of telling them to be good, like say exactly what you mean. Like, hey, buddy, do your jobs today. Because yesterday, I remember, you didn't do your jobs. So when you go to school today, do your jobs. And whether they do their jobs or not, that doesn't make them good or bad. It just, the fact is they either did or didn't do So I think I have about a million and one parents to refer to you. <laughs> because <laughs> I say Bring the same on. things, but I only get 45 minutes once a week and I have lots of other things to cover. <laughs> and yeah, I'm in my naughty <laughs> SI mode when I'm saying those things. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Subversion's a whole other topic for another day when we talk about my childhood. <laughs> But Excellent. it's absolutely true that we don't attack who they are as people. and We let kids be be themselves and talk about their choices, which is something I really work as an educator to impart into early childhood environments, which for all y'all out there listening, Brandy and I met because I walked or I came, you and I met, right? Because I was supporting a kiddo in your classroom. And like within the first 15 minutes, we're like, oh, we mm-hmm. have to be best friends. <laughs> Like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. And I literally yeah. said to you 20 different times, this is refreshing because so much of my job is supporting teachers in a classroom to think about 
what the kid is trying to say and helping the kiddo learn a different behavior or seeing the kiddo just as being a kid and not as being bad or good. And it's hard because when you're, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in a classroom, you have your bosses looking at you and you have a goal to teach and the kid is not doing what you want to do. And chances are you have seven or eight kids at circle time, like picking their nose and turning around in circles And it's hard and overwhelming, but if you change the thought and change the expectation of like, okay, they're exploring their body, (laughs) they're engaging in sensory behavior and learn it's, it's sort of not, it's not a power struggle towards you. It makes life easier. Yeah. Like if you just see behavior as communication and look past what they're doing it changes your entire relationship with the behavior. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Because um, that's the way I feel too. Like I'm not in this for a power struggle. Like I'm just I, I don't feel that. I don't worry about that. Like I don't. My ego's not here. And look, I'm not perfect. We all have our moments where you catch yourself and you're like, you're doing the thing. Like don't do the thing. And then I'm like, don't do the thing. This isn't a power struggle. But I think like you're totally yeah. right. Just see it as a behavior. And if you don't like it. Yeah. Um, It sounds like we have very similar roles. I just do mine in classrooms, except for yours, because you're doing it right. For the record, perfectly imperfect is how I like to think of us. Yeah, no, I don't want to be perfect. I am very clear with my small friends that I make mistakes, that I mess up. They know very much so that I'm a big forgetter, and they will say it. They'll be like, um... Like if they're, if, you know, I'll be like, oh, when we get back to the classroom, we'll do that thing. And at, like every once in a while, one of them will be like, okay, um, are you going to, yes. are you going to forget? And I'm like, I might, I might. Can you kindly remind me? But like, I, I, I'm not doing it on purpose to you, but like, yeah, I might. And they're like, okay. And then they kindly remind me if I forget. And then that shows that I'm a yep. human person too. I am flawed and that's okay. Like I, I don't remember everything. The whole concept that we as adults need to be perfect and in charge and going back to where, you know, we mm-hmm. parent and whatever, how we grew up, we, we approach kids with the adults that we understood, like with our adult models. Parents always tried to be perfect and seem to have all the answers. And they're so, it's so refreshing to just be like, I don't know, dude. Life's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Let's, let let me think about that. Let's figure that out. When kids correct me, it's my favorite Um, thing. Miss Jenna, you said you were going to show me Mario. Yeah, I totally did. I'm sorry. And kids get really excited when adults make mistakes. They do because it's like a soft place to land. It's like if you can mess up, then I can mess up too. Okay. Um, actually, I do have a question. So how would I know if my kid mm. needed a special instructor? Like what's like what would be sort of the signs that I that would be like a red flag or that a teacher would say, like whatever, like whoever the grown-up is would be like, this kid needs a special so- instructor. If your kiddo were in a educational environment and they were continually having challenges in the classroom. So if you're getting pretty consistent that 
they're either falling behind or they're not understanding what's happening or they're not able to participate. It's sort of a flag to kind of dig mm-hmm. deeper. Um, and what you would do is mm-hmm. really ask for an early intervention evaluation through Elwin if you live in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And right. the people who know the things would give the test and determine whether or not there was a need for service based on an eval. That's how I mm-hmm. connect to the kiddos that I work with is, you know, so I'm an mm-hmm. independent contractor, right? And what happens is a kiddo has been identified and they're like, we need somebody to support this kiddo with an identification. Leave my philosophy out of it. <laughs> but if a okay. parent is like, this kiddo is not, you know, I'm worried my kiddo isn't showing the same development as their peers. I have worries because they're not able to sit and attend. You might need a special instructor to help develop classroom skills. I rarely am the only person on an educational team. Usually there's an Mm -hmm. OT or speech therapist. Sometimes there needs Mm -hmm. to be the you know, like the escalation of me, which would be behavior. Um, there's not really mm-hmm. such thing as I need a special instructor because in this role, I don't really work alone. I work with other therapists to reframe what okay. they're doing in a classroom sense. I might work with a classroom you know, if, if a kid only has me on their service, I start to look for, do they need a little more than me? Because there's generally some behavioral skills mm-hmm. that we might need to talk about. And also, frankly, often, I hate to say in early childhood, there's a, there's some classroom coaching that might need to occur, which is a real weird thing in my job. Cause I'm a guest right. in everybody's face. So to walk in and to see a kid exhibiting behavior and I'm like, this isn't the kid. <laughs> this is not the child. Right. Which is another yeah. reason we're doing this podcast. Cause I was like, I want all of my kids at your classroom, like in your classroom, at your school. Um, <laughs> bring, I mean, it's, it's, like the, it's an amazing environment for children and there's, Early childhood is just such a rough, it's such a, it's such a rough landscape sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would you want to tell a teacher? Like if you were, you walked in the classroom, what are things that like you do tell them or you want to tell them like that kind of thing when you go oh, in? Brandy, like, oh it depends God. on the teacher. <laughs> Often I'm like, y'all, you need to go to therapy <laughs> and then you can come back to early childhood. Yeah. In order, in order to be like a really good childhood educator, I firmly believe you kind of need to have your stuff worked out and be okay with yourself. Because all of your crap comes out as a teacher, whether you mm-hmm. want it to. 100%. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, totally. Totally. There's a reason why I'm like, kids, you're going to do all the things by yourself. Because my mom... I mean, my mom is still with us, but she doesn't live with me. Um, But when we were little, she did everything for us. So I went to college and I was like, I don't know how to clean anything or do the laundry. So I'm like, that's not okay. Kids, we're going to be independent. And the kids love it. Like I, you know, but I took my baby and put it right on them. And And I, kids who can do so similarly, 
in an opposite way. <laughs> I was often left to my own devices <laughs> as a kid and kind of like, mm, oh, God, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. Nah, there's no chance. So, like, growing up, <laughs> I was the third born. My parents were getting ready to get divorced and into 30-year relationships. So it was kind of like, you got this, you're on your own. And I'm also, yeah. I have a bouncy brain, formerly known as ADHD. I like to think mm -hmm. of myself as a hunter <laughs> as opposed to a farmer. Mm -hmm. And there was never any support for me, right? So I'm taking my crazy and looking at this kid, like, what supports and structures do you need in order to succeed? Yep. And helping parents feel empowered to give them that throughout their educational um, mm -hmm. what was the question? <laughs> so, no, I get it. So what, so what, what teachers. would you love um, teachers to know? Childhood <laughs> is hard. Don't think your life is easier than being three. Mm -hmm. you, your heart just looks different. So two, in order to be a teacher, yeah. Above any schooling, you need to be comfortable with yourself. Like, you need to be an expert on who you are and understand yourself, especially in early childhood, because they have no knowledge except, like, they're developing who they are, right? Don't put your shit on kids. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Three, behavior isn't about you. Behavior is communication. It's the first language that ever existed. Mm -hmm. Everything that's living communicates in some way through behavior. So when you're talking about a tiny human being communicating through behavior, listen to it. Instead of getting aggravated at the mm -hmm. power struggle. Also go to happy hour because the power struggles are aggravating. <laughs> no, it's true. And it is. And it, you know, it is okay. <clears throat> it is okay to love your job and understand that there are moments that are that are stressful and and it's funny because I tell my clients like I don't want people to think that like every day is easy for me like I've been teaching for about 25 years so it's easier now than it was year one or year 10 but there are still days where I'm like ooh, I could have you know I could have done that better I did get a little caught up in something but the other thing is like always you always want to learn from that you always want to be like oh that was not my best moment yesterday. I don't yell. I don't scream, but I'm a human. Like I could have handled that better. <laughs> and, and so I do, I, I think you always have always. to be, you always have to be learning. I think that that's important. And I agree. You do need to go to happy hour. Which, just, and then just you because we're proving we are not friends. alcoholics, happy hour can be yoga. <laughs> it could be a walk it in the park, yoga. meditating on the birds, whatever. But in reality, know, right? I'm a firm believer in Maslow's, which means you cannot be your best mm -hmm. self until your basic needs are met. So as a teacher, it's so important to make sure your own needs are met before you try and meet the needs of kids. And one of the reasons I left the district yes. is I couldn't. I couldn't create those boundaries for myself. I could not possibly take care of my own. Like, I didn't sleep. I was there sometimes 10, 12 hours a day, five days a week. Like, my kid was at Beish Martin with me. So, like, I go home. 
And the needs of the kiddos were so big because I taught autistic support. A lot of my kiddos kind of had a lot Mm -hmm. else going on. The grownups had a lot else going on. I couldn't decide I need to go take care of myself. It was too big, too much. And I was not my best self. I was actually my worst self when I left. I was angry and bitter all the time. This job for me personally gives me the boundaries I need to separate myself enough to make sure I'm ready, refreshed and recharged to approach every single kid and parent to meet their needs. So Mm-hmm. I see this in early childhood a lot where everybody's stressed out and struggling. It's immensely undervalued in yeah. our culture. Like, I mean, yes, that you is play bullshit. All day. That's so fun. I'm like, I'm it like, is I bullshit. Love my job, it is one of the, no, I meant you're, you are shaping small humans. They are so vulnerable. It's terrible. Like, honestly, Brandy, I'm terrified to be like a full-time classroom teacher for three to five-year-olds because everything I say or do has a bigger impact. (laughs) I know. And you're really good at it. It's the best, (laughs) but like, if you scream at a kid, which is inevitable and not the end of the world, but it's a different thing than screaming at like a high schooler. (laughs) right no it never and while we don't want to scream at anyone you know if you mess up with a high schooler you can also go back you can talk about it in a different way you know if if I'm screaming at my three-year-olds which I don't everyone um it's gonna hit way differently the explanations are going to be much more difficult the undoing of that and the loss it's it's hard right like Mm-hmm. In the year of COVID, I've talked to so many parents. <laughs> the massless pyramid stayed on my computer forever because parents, parental guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, giving right? And a lot of parents are like, I'm trying, I'm trying. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. stop worrying about whether they're gaining skills and take care of yourself first. In an early childhood, especially, mm-hmm. like, I just have to bring it up and talk about it. Early childhood teachers are massively underpaid. So people in early childhood, it's, 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 they're criminally underpaid, right? And I'm looking at these people who are at such an important stage in life, making bupkis and peanuts in a really stressful environment. Mm -hmm. Most preschools, especially like the big commercial ones, tend to like, it's all about the bottom dollar. And the teachers who are really there yep. to support children are too stressed out to do their jobs and know, like, I have a master's degree in early childhood. Why am I making 10 bucks an hour? It is true, it's, though. It is true. And I mean, you created it's not your true own for me space, which makes it so you know, special. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, that's what it is. Like, I, I got lucky, but I did work in places where it was like, wow, I'm not making any money. Like this is, this is tough. Like I love this age, but, and so that, yeah, that adds to the stress that adds to all of that. Um, You know what though? I do have a question. So you have mentioned Maslow's hierarchy two or three times. Do you want to explain? (laughs) I meant to, but I got excited with my bouncy brain. (laughs) 
I, this is why we're no, I have a bouncy brain too. I, yeah, it's, yeah, no, I have a bouncy brain too, but I do know that like, and also between educators and people who work with kids, we know what Maslow's hierarchy of needs is. So let, but parents, let me start Um, uh, explaining why it connected with me and why it's, it's followed me. So I was teaching seventh grade emotional support at Rhodes, which is at 29th in Allegheny. And I was bad at it. Like, (laughs) that was not my calling in life. Uh (laughs) And I'm sitting in a PD, like I'm failing these kids who need me to do a really good job. And I don't know how to change it because it was so stressful, right? And then this PD, they're like, telling the teachers who look and live a very different life than most of the students about Maslow's. Mm-hmm. And what they said is, you guys have these 13-year-old, 14-year-old children walking in your classroom mm-hmm. and figure out where they are in this pyramid. And the pyramid started with basic physiological needs. Have you slept? Have you eaten? Do you feel safe? And above that was like, do you Mm -hmm. have trust in others? Like, are you being taken care of emotionally? And I can't remember off the top of my head the rest, but basically the, the American education system expects children to access learning in such a way that is at the very tippy top of that pyramid. And the reality is so many of our kids are worried about where their next meal is going to come from. They haven't eaten. They're tired. And we're like, do algebra. And they're like, for what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> haven't slept in this. So I, right. I love the hierarchy because right. it just made so much sense to me. And it changed the way I approached my kids. At that time, I had just a class of 10 girls, all girls. And most of them mm-hmm. had either had children or been in jail or both. Been in GB, my bad. Right. And I'm like, I'm teaching okay. algebra, which yeah. was just hilarious. Like, no, algebra doesn't matter to you. Right. So as soon as I right. learned about Maslow's, it yeah. reframed my entire approach to really the world, any human I interact with. Um, and for my girls, what it did was... We started kind of the the afternoon, which is when I have them with, how are you guys feeling? (laughs) And it went from like, okay, yes, you can do algebra, but like to connect what it meant for them and reframe how I approach them with, all right, I know that this is what I'm supposed to teach you, but I'm also a special education teacher. So I get to write your IEP and decide what you really need to learn and now that I know that you're taking care of four younger siblings, mm-hmm. we're going to learn the algebra, but mostly what we're going to do is talk about what matters to you in ways that you can access learning by getting your needs met first. You can't learn how to do polynomial mm-hmm. equations if you're hungry. It's just not, you know, and that... That also right. kind of told me that I needed to be a special instructor because I care more about how are you feeling? <laughs> Have you slept? Than I do about can yeah. you solve this equation? I don't care about math. I was not a good math teacher. Right. I think I've developed being a special instructor or at least carved out a role for myself because I asked parents, 
are you hungry? <laughs> Have you had enough water today? Right. And one thing I do sometimes is I'll make a, I, I create kind of like a preliminary behavior plan for parents who are really struggling and are, are open to it. So when parents are like, I need help with my kiddo mm -hmm. who's not listening, I'm like, all right, what's that going to look like? And sometimes parents will say, I want them to listen. I'm like, okay, here's some games. And sometimes it gets real deep and I'm like, okay, here's a PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And when you're having a moment of, I think I might need to call the people on myself, I want you to just open this and go through it. And the first question is, have you slept? Have you eaten? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you need water? Like, mm. are your physiological needs met? And if the answer is no, it's the next slide is like, right. okay, stop here. Take a breath. Your kids are going to be okay. Take care of your needs. Because if you're screaming at your kids and you cannot manage life, don't try to do the rest. It sounds like you work with the parents, you work with the teachers to really demystify the um, sort of the, the unique yes. mythical being that is a small child. And there's a lot to being a small child. And it's, it's funny because I was um, talking to one of my clients a while ago and they were like, well, I don't want to walk on eggshells. And I was like, oh, I don't want you to do that either. Like, I don't want anybody walking on eggshells. But it's a different language. And also, we all have different languages. Like, you know, someone who's talking to me, um, you know, there's one way to get me to listen to you or get me to want to do things for you as opposed yeah. to someone else. So you just need to figure out everyone's sort of language. And kids have a different language. You do have to speak to them differently. You need to figure each one of them out. And if you don't know how to do that, that's Can I when just those say Brandy struggles Davis really, president? really come in. So, <laughs> one thousand percent accurate. Like, I don't think I've heard it framed in such a concise way. I I preach about <laughs> neurodiversity. So, beyond language, it's how do you think? Do you think verbally? Mm -hmm. Do you think visually? Um, do you need to tactilely engage with something in order to comprehend what you're hearing? Right. And parents will look at a kid who might be right. Okay. So I hate like framing it this way, but for time's sake, whatever parents who might have a kid diagnosed with sure. autism or kids who are autistic might be like, oh, he's stimming mm -hmm. and not understand that words don't compute unless that kid is flapping, I think. But also yes! How your brain processes the world around them. And neurology is so fascinating. So one of the reasons I wanted to be a doctor is looking at the human body will endlessly fascinate me. And neurology especially is like, why is your brain wired that way? Why would you turn on the light switch? Mm -hmm. Does your dishwasher go on? <laughs> right? Like it's Yes. It's always interesting to me. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in seventh grade. I tried to write, like we had to do a research paper and mine was on like fetal brain development because when do brains learn to understand language, but working with little kids, 
you start to yeah. see how their brains work and looking at a kid to understand how their brain mm-hmm. operates is really that's that's the foundation right like some kids you know yeah. recently on facebook there was this article about not all of us have that inner voice that talks mine talks all the time and never shuts up right it's 508 uh-huh. bings around there are humans out there who don't have a voice in their head. I'm like, yep. what? Or Temple, right? I don't know what that is. I'm like, That'd what does that so sound quiet. like in there? Uh-huh. Um, Temple Grandin taught us she doesn't think in words. She thinks in pictures. I will also share my dad is on the autism spectrum, but mm-hmm. he's 75 and there was no such thing back then. He thinks in music. So, like, randomly, we'll be talking to dinner, and dad will go, like, and walk over to his bass fiddle. And I'm like, what are you doing, Pops? (laughs) His brain is always singing. Um, Little kids, again, behavior is your first language. But maybe some kids, their second is visual. And when they have a Mm -hmm. thought, it might be a tactile thought. When I'm talking to parents, I often will use myself because it's kind mm-hmm. of a safe space. But I'll, I'll say something like, when I'm cooking, I have to cook alone because mm-hmm. I cannot verbalize what I need someone else to do in that moment. I see the picture in my head. I feel it in my hand. But I cannot use words to tell. And my job really as an SI is helping the adults around yeah. a child understand how that child is thinking. And supporting the adult and the child mm-hmm. in a better communication style. Right. And, and making it so that they can go to school. Cause also we can wish <laughs> that school was different than it is. Um, and we can work as hard as we want to make school different than it is, but no exactly. matter what, I still have to get my guys ready to go. Like I have to get my kids mm-hmm. ready to go to kindergarten, ready to sit in a circle ready to learn in a certain way. And so what I try to do is with their own individual stuff, try to give them some um, strategies so they can sort of like buck the system. We call that self-advocacy. And and that's not what I would want. You know that you're a fidgety friend and that's how you learn. You can't sit at circle and flop all over the place. They're not going to let you do that. Um, also, you might kick someone in the head, but they're not going to let you do that in kindergarten. They're not going to let you do that at school. But what can we do to give you that fidget? So I might give you a little fidget spinner or I might give you a weighted bag filled with like rocks and sand so that we can sort of start to practice what it's like sitting and then maybe I can teach you things to do where you can feel your own shirt or something so that when you're at circle at kindergarten where they're not going to give you necessarily a big weighted bag um you can you know you can go oh wait I know how to do this on the like DL a little bit for sure because not everybody knows how to do that um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. advocating for yourself to be like, so, I, best when I, I mean, stand. in one way, Brandy, like, like it's a little demeaning. We're even having this conversation because you're already doing all the things I make everybody else do. <laughs> like, I know, <laughs> but it's also why we're no, going to be people besties. out there don't necessarily know. It. And I know. Right. And it's and I find that 
you know, I mean, I haven't, I full disclosure, I haven't done continuing education for a really long time. Um, little, little plug here. I do continuing education. I do teach teachers how to do things in their classroom. So if you want, you can come and contact me and I can come teach the teachers. Um, but I don't think there's enough about alternative ways to learn for those fidgety kids who need to plant their feet on something that need to stand, that need to learn in a different way that when you tell them to read the directions, they're like, I did. And you're like, no, you didn't. You did it wrong. And they're like, no, I I really read the directions. By the way, I'm that kid. Um, And I'm like, but I did. And I still did it wrong because that's not how my brain ingests information. Um, I, if I had known earlier, I need to read the directions out loud because I need to hear them. I can't, I don't need to, I can't, I mean, I can read y'all. It's all good. But that's not how my brain interprets information best. It interprets it best if you show me or if I hear it. So is that kind of like what you might do a little bit in a classroom, like teach parents or teach um, teachers that you need to approach this in a different way? What you just said is actually framed in a better way than I could ever say it. But that's also like I'm at the end of a very long day. Um, you're talking about educational concepts called universal yeah. design. Now my gripe yeah. education is not, it's not on the side of children who No, it's made for the no. 1950s no. white middle class, quote unquote, typically developing child. And the more I work with human beings, the more I'm like, there's no right. such thing because as the parent of a child who has made straight A's since second grade, I haven't checked their homework ever. I'm like, okay, my child is qualified as typically developing, but their strengths and weaknesses, they have to. My child's a they, them. Just so anybody mm-hmm. listening is not confused. Um, mm-hmm. There's strengths and weaknesses that they have. And a lot of what we idealize as a culture is the type A hyper-organized linguistic learning easily expressed verbally or um, somebody who is is polished and refined in their verbal expression. But that often comes with a lot of anxiety. So one of these mm-hmm. professors that I had when I was in grad school that was really refined, I looked at her and I'm like, so what do you struggle with? Because I thought she was like, perfect. She's like, my hyper-organization is my strength and my crutch. And I was floored because she seemed just like the perfect person. She was mm-hmm. teaching this class. It was all called like the Hopkins course. We were all right. terrified of it because she had to write this immense paper. She was going to provide a rubric, state expectations, and then grade you to the T, right? It was cut and dry. Didn't matter if your grandmom died. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss. You're done. <laughs> like... No, but she was brilliant. She was so smart. Oh my god. Gorgeous. Together. And I'm like, God damn, mm-hmm. she's together. <laughs> right. So that being together is what we idealize. And I work <laughs> with kids and I'm like, this kid's never gonna be together. Let's look at what he's good for. Our culture, you know, there used to be hunters, gatherers, and farmers. We don't need to hunt anymore. So the brain that's designed to like go out there, Mm -hmm. track the buffalo, kill it is now like demoralized and dehumanized and it sucks. Uh And the education system is designed for one type of learner. Mm -hmm. Sit down, do the work. And nobody's looking at how much anxiety and self-doubt that creates. And 
Or if you sit down and do the work, can you handle it if all of a sudden the work changes? Mm -hmm. So part of what I do and part of, you know, it's not what I do as an SI, it's what I do as a person is preach the good message about maybe there's a different way. Unfortunately, there's politics and funding and bureaucracy mm-hmm. in the way of being a human. Early childhood yeah. for me is really the access to improve the overall outcomes of society and people. And I no, it's true. It's like Franklin, getting when they're parents young. Were like, I don't know what you want me to do. They're 14. I'm done. Or I'm 17. They're moving out. I'm like, I'm exhausted. Parents were so tired. And in middle school, it's like right. they were at their wits end. And even in elementary school, parents were really working hard and still willing to try, but I had to fight an entire system. I used to say again and again, I feel like a hummingbird spitting on a forest fire. I can't remember. (laughs) It was an old like African folktale about like there's a forest fire and it's raging and the hummingbird was just spitting up a drop of water and spitting on the forest fire. And the hummingbirds, like, at least I'm doing something. And I, I used to say that, like, that was my mantra back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like the hummingbird on the, like, fringe fires. <laughs> because at least this drop of water I'm spitting out is landing and extinguishing <laughs> something for that family. Or at least giving somebody else Stop. the notion of what water is and what the forest fire is instead of letting them be in there burning up. The reality also is I'm yeah. never going to be an elephant. I'm always going to be a hummingbird. <laughs> My brain capacity, I'm not an organizer. I don't know how to operate <laughs> politics. I have a really big feeling, but I don't know how to get the message out there or do something bigger than what I'm doing as an early interventionist. But this is where I feel like I can make a difference. Kids are young. They're very malleable. Mm-hmm. Even if they're in a very traumatic situation, mm-hmm. it's still pretty... It's more easy to address and reverse. Now, parents aren't exhausted. So if anything, early childhood teachers should be mm-hmm. heralded as like the hero. <laughs> hero. Because this is where it's at, y'all. And I think that especially, you know, if you can get to those uh, yeah. like early childhood or even early elementary teachers and parents who have little kids, if you can get to them early, uh, yeah. especially those parents, they'll have the skills they need to be less exhausted in the future, which is what I try to do. And I'm just like, let's let's weed out the stuff you don't need to worry about. Let's put in the stuff that you need to, I wouldn't say worry about, but attend to um, and how to do it and things like that. And that's what teachers need as well. That's why I like to talk to teachers too. And I think it's important that you're talking to teachers as well. Because it's like, this is the stuff you don't have to worry about. This is the stuff also over here you can't control because these are the rules that some person in an office who apparently has a degree but hasn't, like, seen a kid in 25 years and been in a, you know, a classroom. This is what they think is important. And they say you only need 15 minutes of lunch and 20 minutes of recess, which is ridiculous. But here's what we can control. So you go in the classroom, you're like, this is what you can control here's how you can connect with your kids yep. and also like, Hey kid, this is how you can live through this. Cause you got to survive this. You got to figure it out. Like for sure. Not everything's going to be able to be I mean, changed, unfortunately, but it is, it's so frustrating. And so to be able to have someone to go in and advocate for the kids and even advocate a little for the teacher, like, Hey, right. I get it. I get that this is hard for you. 
Um, you know, your hands are tied here, but you also have all these other options and these other ways yeah. to reach the kids that will make your life even easier. Like if you just give that kid a fidgety thing, if you let them sit on that, you know, ball, if you let them stand, if you let them have an angry corner where maybe they can throw beanbags for 10 minutes. Well, and that's where mad. it goes back to They'll what you said in the beginning, which is, be are okay, you being an adult or is this really important? because we all have an ego Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day it's important to ask ourselves like is this offending my ego and am I being a grown-up or is this really impacting progress for the kid and often sometimes a little bit of both but sometimes it's like this is just really annoying me (laughs) It's not going to affect their development. And if it's really annoying you, that's where you develop your own strategies. Like, okay, he's making a lot of noise and I really want to rip my, my eardrums out. Put on headphones. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's funny because I, every once in a while I will say to like uh, Sarah, who is my co-teacher and business partner and all around amazing human. I will say to her, like, is this, is this me? Like, is it, is it loud and crazy pants in here or is it me? Or I'll turn to her and just be like, I'm, I'm going to like, I'm going to go over here for a minute because they're, they're doing amazing things, but what what they're doing is making like, just it's loud for me that day. Um, But I was like, you're not, the kid's not doing anything wrong. Like they're not, they're not even doing anything excessively loud. Right. Like quite frankly, like maybe I'm getting my period. Maybe it's an off day for me. Like that's, that's, a, that's a different, yeah, guys, yeah that's a whole different channel. We'll be back too, that's for a that. Other podcast. But mm-hmm. that's a different podcast, but it is on those days. Everything's like super loud for me, but I shouldn't like that kid shouldn't have to right. change what they're doing because it's bothering me. Um, and we, you know, and, and we also say that school's a place for mess. It's their space. It's their space to learn and discover. And we're there to give them the tools and to help them do that. But they need a space where they can get yes. messy and they need a space where they can, <laughs> you know, drop sand on the floor, which they totally yes. did today. And, 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 and because that's how they learn. And, and I think that, that going in and being able to have someone tell a teacher like, no, 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 this is okay. You, your gut is right. Your grown up brain and the system is is not so right <laughs> like your gut is right teacher. i agree and that i think that okay you know thing. like montessori schools became a thing davis school has become a thing or play school is gonna be, like just go ahead and copyright that now um there's always two sides of a coin right <laughs> i'm a thousand percent with you i love all of this but hearing yeah. it with a different ear it's like that's great i have 33 kids in this tiny classroom what am i gonna do do um because a lot of teachers are stuck at the right. like mid-level maslow's in survival mode you're just trying to get through the day and do what you can you're still hummingbird and i think for them yep. the message is like acknowledge yeah. it and fight for it and if any of you parents out there have political connections or know how to fight for it call me <laughs> Talk to Brandy and come because those are not skills I have, but that's where real change yeah. happens. It's yeah. much higher up than what we can do alone. Um, yes. And you're, oh, most of this conversation between you and I is talking about how to fit kids into a system that is designed against them. 
advocacy is for front foremost number one yeah every day i'm like ah i don't want to lose kids but should i be an advocate naughty 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 si talk because as an si i should not but i can't help myself yeah you can't have kids not drop sand on the floor and expect a kid who just needs to interact with sand to sit in a workshop and learn and those kids get labeled as the quote-unquote tough kids they're not tough they are who they are and now we have a system that we have big separation of kids yeah. In an environment that is really just not designed for them. Um, is that sort of like where you come in because the system isn't designed for them to, in the kindest way, be like, look, this isn't designed for you, but we're going to we're going to work on things so that you can be you. But you can also like learning if you can do a system and learning got, how to creatively it. bucket is it. a for real, for real big life set. And any hero we might have, quote unquote. I patch at <laughs> buck the system the whole way. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's become yeah, a hero is creatively subversing a system, right? My passion happens. God damn, this got deep. My <laughs> passion happens mm-hmm. to be children. And really, people, I'm 100% extrovert. I tried not to be, didn't happen. So at the end of the day, anybody who we idolize as a hero bucked a system like even the avengers bucked a system so yes 100 percent. my job is like uh-huh this is how these are the skills you need to be you within the system designed not for you and i often work with teachers yes. to be like i understand that you no it's totally need, true you know you came from the system and the system worked for you let me also talk about this kiddo who has different needs than the system allows and let's figure out how to like meet in the middle mm-hmm. being able to function in a system not for you is like talk about flexibility like we did at the beginning yeah it's a big skill and it's hard to do um it's like going to a foreign yeah. country and all of a sudden you're like i don't know german and i'm in germany and having to figure out okay so if i can't use language what yeah. do i do to like yeah eat and drink and buy stuff at the thrift market without being taken advantage of and as an si that's i mean man we just like it's a whole spectrum right here but as an si yeah that's my job is like all right you don't speak german you're in germany what are we gonna do do i teach you german do i teach you how to like recognize cues yeah do i teach you how to ask for a dictionary i have big opinions and big feelings of the educational approach to kids that have only gotten bigger as time has gone on there's a parent entering the education system as a parent you're like i don't speak german and now i'm being told what to do with my kid in german something wrong so, with <laughs> and there's something bad about my kid because like which by the way there's not something bad about your kid but your kid Ugh. is always on red on the stoplight don't even get me started with that um and they're always there and and the, and you're like, but I don't know what to do. How do I get my kid off red? 
and your kid is also like defeated because they're always on red. They don't know why they're always on red. They're trying the be- their best. They can never sort of, they can't, you know, traverse this whole school environment because it's, it's not built for who they are. And so then you would come in and help them Precisely. traverse that thing where you go like, listen. The first thing I, I would say about hard, a kid being on red is let's that, right? get rid of red and reframe it as what choice are you making right now? And you might, instead of saying, don't do that, mm-hmm. I prefer to say your choices are to do this or to do that. Really, I prefer is like, you know, what's the right choice? Let me think. Hold on. Mm-hmm. All right. Kids getting ready to hit another kid. A green choice would be to mm-hmm. use your words or take a breath or, and a lot of what I do as an SI is offer green right. choices and practice and practice and practice them one-to-one and then make it very, very easy, as easy as I can make it for mm-hmm. a teacher to use practice green choices in a classroom. I don't think there should be such thing as red that you can be on because that's a uh-huh. permanent state that you can make. We, I mean, hell, we all make red mm-hmm. choices. If any adult listening yes. to this ever woke up with a hangover, you made yes. a red choice. Yes. But if you're listening yeah. to this, the fact that you hear my voice right now, you're not on red for life. <laughs> you might have just made a red choice. Red, being on red doesn't give you opportunity right. to change or practice a better behavior. If you're on red, you're stuck. And oh my God. Yes. And I don't know about you, but if I'm on red and everybody is seeing me on red, I'm going to be the reddest red I can be. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're what happens, right? My day is done. I'm already there. And, um, I'm the first human to admit, and my husband will also verify this. If I'm on red and there's no redemption, it's Noel's bar. I'm burning the house down. <laughs> All right. This is where I am. And we've seen kids, I mean, literally, but like not really literally, like, but just burn the house down. Take that classroom down. Just start like, I kind of like, like Tasmanian deviling it like around the room, like just whirling where they're like chucking things and, and pushing it feels people because really it's crappy. like, well, is done. big difference I, in approaching a kid to be like, you're on red. And it oh, feels, yeah. honestly, once they're at the bottom and they're in that game of, I've got nowhere to go, <laughs> they're going to beat you. At the very least, they're going to piss you off. And if they've pissed you off, they're playing the game and they've won. Now, mm-hmm. I would also like to say every single child and every single adult who is in a relationship, whether yeah. you're a teacher or a parent or a therapist, this is going to happen and you're going to lose. And that's okay. So my God made wine and meditation and yoga. we as adults need time for redemption too. So you try again tomorrow. <laughs> so one of my heroes in personal life is my stepmother. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm struggling, I call her and she will eat. She will say, honey, parental uh-huh. guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And I cling to that like nobody's business. The other anecdote that is like my parental mantra is parental mm-hmm. guilt is the gift that keeps on giving because you never stop doubting yourself. Teacher guilt <laughs> applies to that too. 
Because if you're a teacher, you're mm-hmm. in the business of serving children. When you're with the kids six hours every day, all day, like, you know this, it's hard to stop thinking about them. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, when my kids just went yes, back to is. school, you know, because they now, uh, is open, I guess, for whatever, like, in whatever way they are. Um, I actually texted a bunch of people and I was like, so how was kindergarten? How was their first day? And even when they went their first virtual day, I was like, how are they? Because I can't, I can't turn it off. Like you might leave, but you're not gone. Like you're still, you still live in my head. Like you still, this is my reason, buddy. I'm going to worry about you like all the time. We see the human, which makes it hard. Like there's no such thing as turning off a human. Yeah. Like. And they never stop existing. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you're all like, no, uh, are they okay? Are they doing okay? I tell parents all the time. So when you go into this, oh God, mm-hmm. I hope nobody in the school district hears this, but when you go into the school district, they're not doing a good job. You call me. <laughs> My third career is going to be as an advocate. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, again, we're going to figure out how to make this like work into a thing. Yeah. I'll be right there with you, girl. Because no, it's, it's true. Because I even do it with my clients where I've, I've called with them a couple preschools and just been like, you know, this person's having trouble in your class. What's going on? And it's like, well, why they're dumping all the boxes and they're not sitting down and oh, doing their well, work. That's why. This is a true story. The child was two. Two. Too. And I was like, but wait, I'm confused. Like, why are two-year-olds sitting at desks? Now, there are options. We have tables, obviously. So there are options for two-year-olds to sit down and do things. But I'm not going to make a two-year-old sit down and do anything. And one of the things I actually ask one of my two-year-olds <laughs> is, you know, yeah. hey, you want to dump stuff today? And she's like, yeah. And that's like the activity. Like she just (laughs) wants to dump stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's make a space to dump stuff, girl. And so it was just like, I had to call and advocate for this child because for some reason, like the teachers and the directors were getting information from somewhere that two-year-olds should sit at a desk for like a half an hour and do a lesson. And I had to be like, Right. And I had to be like, this is not appropriate. So that sounds like something that you might go in to a school or talk to a parent about and say, hey, listen, you under, I, like, I get it. You have been told Absolutely. to do this thing, and but it's not, on that it's note, not the way that it's going to reach this Mary, like these opinions kids. of parents and teachers. Right. So we talked a lot about how my heart is with parents, but I also have a heart with teachers because mm-hmm. I was one and it was it was an experience mm-hmm. and both experiences for me are kind of sometimes conflict. And a lot of times yeah. the parents will be like, if that's his jam, let that be his jam. And the teacher's like, he's at the window staring at buses all day. And it's completely appropriate at that moment for that child during free play to freely get really excited about the buses. So marrying what a parent feels like a kid should be Mm -hmm. doing, what a teacher feels like a kid should be doing, what science and my own personal um, peer reviewed journal by G stars, Jenna, my husband calls me G stars, but like the philosophy of G stars Mm -hmm. should be doing is like, I do a lot of marriage. (laughs) (laughs) 
because the teacher's like he shouldn't be at the window talking about buses and i'm like mom doesn't care and if that's his jam let him let him rock out buses are his thing i mean i would look at well i'm not gonna tell you but i'd look at i will listen to brandy carlisle all day long i love her so why as long as he can turn it off and it's not a perseveration let dude be dude and that might be how that kid is going to make it through the day. So the only way that that kid can sit down and do their work or sit at circle or move through whatever expectations you have for all is you for people at free play, you love Marie Kondo. If it's spark That's and joy, let time. it spark. Absolutely. And throw away. My aunt used to talk to us all the time about, um, not shooting people. She was, uh, she was a corporate coach and a communication coach. <laughs> and right. she taught all of us um, that all of her quote unquote kids, um, that her grandkids and nieces and stuff that should is don't should people, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. He should be doing this. Why shouldn't he look at the bus? Why should he be building blocks? That's not how he or she gets through the day that's not how they i love that term soul. feed their soul and, i also that's, that's, love i mean i i, I the I conversation about that. should um personally on a very personal level i should systems and politicians that shouldn't yeah. be that should be different but individual people especially parents i really do I a voice should oh, yeah <laughs> because being yeah. on red is like you should be on green and should yeah. is just like fuck off. Yeah, no, should be nowhere. But it's like, how am I gonna get there? Like, how do I get to green? If I'm on red, the job is to figure out how, like, why am I on red and how am I gonna get to green? Why am I so mad at school? <laughs> why am I not doing the work? Why is my work always late? Why? You know, things like that. Like, why? You know, all those things that get you on red. Why, or how can we talk about how you, you don't even. And how can we get you off it? Need to be on what do you to begin need? with, right? Like, I know. But it's such a crappy feeling I mean, you being know on I'm red. Why would you try to get off it? Like, and this is where I go back to, in order to be a teacher, you kind of need to have been to therapy and have your shit stuff mm-hmm. crap edit whatever you want in there or even leave this in worked out because yeah even that day that you like you're on red <laughs> the ability to stop and reflect and be like okay this was clearly the kid not me but what in me got triggered that i just needed to put that kid on red mm-hmm. like i have a personal need for control <laughs> i love control and power i like i'm right. human but uh-huh. When I yelled at a kid, I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, I really, really feel frustrated with myself. I don't know how to help this kid. And it came out because right. I didn't know what to do. The record, I did not have red, green, and blue. In my, like, I didn't have a color system in my classroom. But right when I did the equivalent, I've been to a lot of therapy, so I knew how yeah. to stop and reflect. And that is never discussed in teaching. It's always very didactic, very academic, very like, here's, here's how you teach, but there's a big Mm -hmm. human component missing in an early childhood. 
the human components like the most important. And that's really, <laughs> I feel like I'm almost like a, this is you as a human. This is what it means to be human. People who haven't been yeah. to therapy and thought about themselves are immediately going to be on the defensive. Like, no, but it's, it is, it's true because you need to know, you need to know your triggers. You need to know your sort of past. And I don't mean triggers as in like, you know, cause that word's used all the time, but you like, if you do have a need for control, you need to go like, I have a need for control, but Hey, when that starts yep. to flare up, this is the thing I need to do. So I don't take that out on the kids. You know, I could take a deep breath. I could say, you know, I could ignore yes. that behavior for a minute so that the kid can calm down and then go back and address it. But I think that the taking the human out of education is where things are really kind yes. of going wrong because connection is so important. It's so important to connect with your students, to, you know, excite yes. them, to understand them, to understand yourself, to be able to give part of yourself to them and to say, look, I, this is what I struggled with when I was a kid. So, you know, when I was in fifth grade, this thing was tough for me. So I, I get we may not have the same mountains that we're trying oh, to climb, yes. but I Randy understand Davis. why this You're activity right is hard for you. So, so what can we do to make this That's easier? another thing I could recommend to parents. <laughs> you, As a therapist, as an early intervention therapist, you have to find people that you feel comfortable with and connect with. And I personally give like 110% of myself all the time. It's that clinical term, low self-monitor. I am who I am. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I try hard not to, mm -hmm. and it never works out for me. <laughs> and so yep. the human aspect really is the most important. Yeah, no, and there totally. are parents who I'm not a good fit for, and I'm a thousand percent okay with that. And I generally start conversations with, this is how I operate as an SI. I approach the whole child. I look at what's happening. I really try to meet human beings and people right where they're at. And maybe that's not going to work for you. And that's okay. I'm mm -hmm. horribly disorganized, right? Like, I'm ADHD is a mofo. Yeah. I think, right? Like, I'm okay with who I am after that's lots funny. of therapy. And I approach yeah. my job with, who are you? Mm -hmm. How can I help you? And no, I'm not going to take very strict data or follow that IEP necessarily. I could talk my way out of a paper bag in a legal IEP meeting. And I'm okay with not being the therapist you need. So as a parent, you need to connect mm -hmm. with a therapist for your child in early intervention and if you don't feel like it's a good fit, it's not a good fit and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, parental guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. They yeah. will turn out okay because of you and in spite of you. Totally. You do what you can do and give what you can give as a parent. Yeah. So if you're really like... Don't like it. this therapist. Don't feel like you're me, but this is what I got. No. If you really need an SI who's going to be data driven right. and really strong and not talk about feelings, okay, call somebody else. That's all right. 
do what you feel you need to do for your kid. And that applies not just to SI, mm-hmm. but for everybody. Yeah. I'm very touchy-feely. I want to know who are some people that makes them very uncomfortable. <laughs> when I'm like, this is what I've yeah. done. This is who I am. Your feelings are okay. And they're like, ain't your job. <laughs> Tell me about the goals. And it's okay for a parent to be there. Right. And now... There are so many things I feel like that fall outside of what we think, you know, a kid should do. And it's funny because we have so much more education about how brains are different. So we have like, you know, you and me, we have people who focus on ADHD. We have people who are specialized in, you know, autism and, and, you know, and then also how do you learn? Are you auditory? Are you you know, a tactile learner. So we have all of this information about the different ways that kids learn and their brains are. But yes. as we're learning more and more, school is it's getting not. more and more and the demanding thing that I'm seeing on in these kids. Like, we need social so emotional it's, learning. It's, it's, it's not Let's fitting structure right. that. <laughs> Here's a highly structured program. Here's an hour a week. You guys don't have to work. And you guys can just mm-hmm. be parents. Let's fill everybody's Maslow's basic needs. <laughs> so we can be the adults we need to be to help the kids become who mm-hmm. they should be. I mean, if you want to get yeah. real deep, nope, we're going to save that. <laughs> like ancestral trauma and classism, racism all factor into that. And having worked across, <laughs> I mean, we just need to do a series, Brady. <laughs> Right. No, it's, it's, it's true. And there's so many, you know, now, I mean, we do understand about ancestral trauma. We do also understand um, more about how much, you know, how racism was built. I mean, we, most of us, no, I'm not going to say that. A lot of us did know. And, you know, the people who are affected by racism know how it's built. But it's starting to at least now seep into education and understanding that until you can understand where a child comes from, where their family comes from, the things that they've been through. Also coming into things like like you were talking about, your child is a they. Like you like if you are a teacher who's never come up against that, not against that, have never come up you know, with that. Now you don't know how to react to that. So now you can't support the kids who are they or who are gay and lesbian or who are, you know, trying to figure it out or who are non-binary or who are, you know, transgender or whatever it might be or wherever they come from. There's kids coming from so many different spaces. Thank goodness now they can be themselves but that means that the grown-ups around them now need to be educated in how to support them so that they can educate them. Because Facts. if kids are feeling depressed and stressed, I and mean that again that, my favorite Maslow. You can't learn until <laughs> you're at that high until you're at that level of hierarchy, right? Like <laughs> learning is really accessed at I think like level six. Um and my right. job is all about how do I teach this child to access learning? Mm-hmm. And when you're three, accessing learning is really about what are the adults around you saying? And a little bit about right. how do I teach you maybe some different things to do or expose you to situations that are hard for you. Right. Um, 
That's the word I've been looking for. Resilience. Resilience is the key. You know, problem solving is the key. It's true. Resilience is a very complex, like, subject. Because it's something we really probably like, oh, look at, you know, back in the day, I'm I'm from rural Virginia. So it's like, he's got gumption, which really means he has resilience and honesty. Um, or he ain't got no gumption, which is like not resilient, not honest. But mm-hmm. if you look at that person that's described as he doesn't have gumption, there's reasons. People generally do the best they can. They mm-hmm. do the best they can do. And right. while I'm a firm believer in that, the time to teach mm-hmm. the best you can do is really three. You don't have to tell me, sister pants. Because I totally agree. And, yeah. and I, this is one of the big things that, you know, I talk about with parents too, whether they're in my school or, or they're my clients, just, just, you know, your three-year-olds can do so many things. Yep. You can teach them how to be independent. You can teach them how to express themselves. You can teach them, you know, you're, you're a mentor. And I try to tell parents that too. It's like you, you're actually a mentor. Your job is to figure out who they are, give them the tools that they need so they can go out into the world and be productive human beings. Okay. Whatever that means to them. Circle back to like your job. There is no right way to figure out who they are. But like, and give them what they need to go out into the world. But if, parenting is like yo I haven't done all that for myself yet yeah like, it's why we're two beers in in this podcast because that's some hard shit you're talking about and we pay a lot of money for therapy to figure right. out who am I what are my needs how do I use my words and not go into gaslighting to express my needs and then all of a sudden it takes 10 yeah. minutes and two dummies to get knocked up and now you have a human that you're supposed to teach who are you what are your needs here? Let's throw you in this mm-hmm. really fucked up education system and teach you how to talk about right. your needs to these other humans who also got created by two. Da- you know, it's like, uh, can we talk about parallel universes now? Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> but, but that's what you kind of guide parents to do, right? Like yeah. you are like, okay, this, you know, this is the world that your child has to function in. Like we can wish and dream all that we want, but this is the world that your child is going to have to function in, whether it's kindergarten, you know, sixth grade, high school, college, the world, world out there, whatever. Um, And so this is the, this is the world your child has to function in. This is who your child is. And over here are sort of the strategies we're going to have to kind of impart and you are the one who imparts those strategies or like, this is how this child, these are the skills that this child needs. Um, and this child needs to go and watch the buses. This child needs maybe, maybe to stand up while they do stuff. This child needs you to come over and read the directions or whatever it is. Um, this child needs, you know, whatever it is that they need. Is that, that kind is of what you do absolutely when you go into what the, I do when I go into the your, world? Like it's school with my skill with set as a special like instructor, like but I also marry that as a teacher with like, okay, this kid needs 
mm-hmm. all of this support. And I know as a teacher, you have 22 other kids. So let's talk about how to make that easy for you and whether or not this kid needs more mm-hmm. than what is feasible for you to give them, right? So another aspect of what I do is determine how much support does okay. your kid yeah. need. Because there is such a thing as too much support. Some of my more anxious parents are, or some parents are like, my kid is not who I thought they were going to be. I need all, all, all the support. And some kids present and it's like, oh my God, this kid needs everything. But then kids are like, they become really dependent on adults for a lot of stuff. Um, something I've really seen in an early intervention is play skills. A kid that has five right. different therapists coming to quote unquote play, because that is how we love to approach things, mm-hmm. doesn't want to play with other kids. Because if you have the rainbow bright equivalent mm-hmm. <laughs> coming to play with you, yep. you know, we're grown ups, so we don't know how to be assholes jerks punks about how we play we are not going to knock your tower over and laugh in your face i will knock I a kid's not. tower over <laughs> and be like that, people. that wasn't nice of me because kids need to know how to say that hurts my feelings parents well yeah no, no matter how mad job, you are your kids let your therapist handle the like the let us and, knock like, the, the play structure over ha 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 because we get to leave and be the enemies you have them the rest of your life let's talk about parental guilt is the gift that keeps on giving you're going to feel guilty later and also there will be accidents that happen no matter what I mean I oh my gosh this year I I was walking and I kicked over this train creation of like this tiny who is never sad and he folded over and quietly wept and I have never I mean I I have never felt so bad about anything in my entire life because it wasn't a tantrum. It was a true, like, oh, no. <laughs> and then he, like, went under a table and was sad. And finally, we he came out. And I was like, can we be friends yes. again? I'm so sorry. So, grown-ups, life will give you opportunities You're to also support right. I am what's going on in as a therapy. Therapist but, like, you don't need to go into the living room and kick it. Have back. adults who are trained to play with them. Something I do specifically as SI is like, yes. yo, this kid needs to play with other yes. kids because grownups play beautifully. Like, we are the easiest. It's like, if all you get to eat is ice cream, why are you going to eat broccoli? Children who have a lot of therapists in early intervention forget how to, t- like, there's a tolerance that's not built. It's like only child syndrome. But in a way worse, because your play partners are all adults trained in official play, right? I am completely an old childhood person. Uh Three-year-olds, they're hilarious. They also need to be around other (laughs) three-year-olds. I can never be the same level of asshole another three-year-old will be. I'm 35. (laughs) And I I can't mimic that. I can try by, oh, no, I accidentally knocked over your block tower. If a child hits me, I'm going to pause, stop the interaction, and give them an opportunity. Another three-year-old is going to, like, throw a block at them or cry and tell a teacher, which doesn't provide opportunity to learn. So I guess you could say part of my job is being an asshole. No, I wouldn't say that. You're creating um, 
opportunities and they're safe opportunities for kids to live in a moment that's frustrating, but also in a safe way. It's like they get to practice in a safe space. Like when, and maybe like when people who are going to go into like space, when they have to like fix the thing underwater first, because it like, that's the safe place where they can mess up and figure out how they're going to fix it in space before they go into space. And now they're floating around out there like, uh like, so that's that's what you go underwater to learn how to function in space. And people will be like, this is what she does. Because I hear that shit's legal there. And water. Um, But you're right. It's, it's called like prompt hierarchy in our world where you you make it very easy and very safe. Just like I was saying earlier, I generalize skills, right? So part of my job is, okay, you need to practice this underwater before you go into space. And there's no such Mm -hmm. thing as a signal and somebody's going to pull you out. Like if you mess up in space, you're gone. So like first you practice it in air, then you practice it under the water then you go to the moon right? and you do your jam. As a play therapist or special instructor, as Pennsylvania mm-hmm. likes to call me. Yeah. I am, I'm like the underwater space because I have the control to know this is uh-huh. what the moon's going to be like. This is a simulation. And often right. when I'm writing goals, I'll literally state, so-and-so will remain calm when right. we talk about it. So-and-so will remain calm when I acted out on my own. So-and-so will remain calm when we do it together. So-and-so will remain calm in Miss Brandy's classroom, which is silly because Miss Brandy's classroom is perfect. But so-and-so will remain calm across environments. And what that means to a parent is, like, they've learned the skill with me alone. They've learned the skill kind of uncomfortably, Mm -hmm. and now they're on their own. It's training wheels. I make training wheels for a living in a very figurative statement. It's hard as a parent to to, to break it down. And I get schooled on a daily basis when I treat with other people about what breaking it down looks like. I tend to push kids kind of hard. Mm -hmm. I'm a hard ass at heart. And... Mm -hmm. Breaking it down for a kid really is like hokey modeling mm-hmm. of, I, you knocked my tower over, I'm angry. And you talked about a safe space, and that's really where kids can grow. Because you can't be uncomfortable and unreactive in a space that's not safe. The minute a kiddo feels unsafe, they're reactive. It's a delicate balance right. to create a space yeah. that challenges what feels comfortable and have a kid feel safe enough with me to grow. It's also important to extend that to parents and have parents feel safe enough mm-hmm. to feel challenged and grow. Right. Not that you would know. <laughs> Just kidding. That's your territory. <sighs> like, y'all call Brandy. <laughs> Um, but the reality is parents have to know I'm not judging you. (laughs) I'm working with you. I'm not judging your kid. And when you have a kid who's born a different person than you thought you'd have, it's tough. So then you're judging yourself and your kiddo. 
also, for the record and for legal reasons, this is not my wheelhouse yeah. SSI. This is the book of G-Stars. Yeah. My last question would be, if there was one thing that you could say to parents and teachers that you just really wish that they knew, what would it be? Like, what would you want to lead with parents I feel like usually I have a very fast answer with this. I think my plea is <laughs> life is complex and hard. So have acceptance for yourself and acceptance for your kiddo. So now you all know what it's like when me and uh, <clears throat> Jenna hang out. We talk over each other all the time with our busy, busy brains. We go down different paths of conversation constantly, and we are big, huge goofballs. So <laughs> thank you for hanging out. Um, I hope you learned a lot, and I hope you had a good time. And I want to thank my girl for hanging out and talking to me and explaining what an SI is because I just learned it. I didn't know till she showed up in my classroom and, and my life. So have a great one. Stay safe out there. I hope you meet a new friend that you connect with as well as we did and as well as we do. And um, I will talk to you soon. Alrighty? Alrighty. Bye. Thanks for hanging with me here. Again, I'm Brandy Davis, your parenting partner, and you can find me on Instagram at Parent Coach Brandy. You can find me on Facebook at Brandy Davis CAFC and on Twitter at CAFC Brandy. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your comments. And I'll chat with you again soon. I can't wait.